Hello. Hi. Hi. Hello. Hello. Hi. It's like I forgot how to say hello. <laughs> Hi, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Life with Kaka. I'm your host and fellow producer, Carolina Gropa, but you can call me Kaka. Not gonna lie, these past few weeks have been kind of crazy over here. I produced a commercial that shot in the Dominican Republic that's wrapping up, and I'm also about to hop on to a documentary that I'm very excited about. Super grateful and hashtag blessed, but it's been a lot. True to the nature that is this show, it sometimes gets messy and it's a balancing act and it can be very overwhelming, but I'm here. I'm showing up for you guys and I'm going to continue to do the show for as long as I can. (laughs) And if it gets too crazy, I'll just let you guys know and we'll take a break. This week, I sat down with indie producer Julia Caruso. She has had three movies at Sundance, three consecutive years in a row. She's a true indie film producer. In this hour, we talk about many things, but a few of which really resonated with me. The beauty and the hardships of independent films, what it's like to work with your significant other, and how being a mother fuels her passion as a producer. It was really special to edit this episode this week of all the weeks because yesterday, August 26, marked my 13th year in LA. Despite how bumpy the ride has sometimes been, I'm still on the roller coaster, and that is worth reflecting on. But enough about me. Let's dive in. Once I get a fancier studio, I'm definitely yes. gonna have like more, my setup will be a little more uh, fancy, but you know, <laughs> this is very much homegrown life with Kaka, so. <laughs> it's really nice actually thanks yeah it's cool because people have commented on the audio quality and I'm always like they're gonna know they're gonna know I just <laughs> recorded this in my apartment everybody's you know? gonna know everybody's gonna know so um it's cool because you and I have not met and uh you were recommended to me by another producer that I had on the show and it's awesome because it's kind of like why I love our business I was like hey if you have anyone you think would be a great guest and she's like well yeah you have to talk to Julia she's amazing and I had like never heard of you and now here you are on my couch like a week (laughs) later I love that about our business so it's nice so tell us all about you like who you are your story your origin story how you got here so I am from Italy originally what part uh I was born and raised in Milan fancy Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) And then I studied in Bologna in my undergrad. And while I was in undergrad, I kind of discovered film. I wasn't, I was into drawing and writing, but didn't, um, hadn't really thought of film. Mm -hmm. And then I discovered film and really fell uh, in love with it. And so decided to kind of go in that direction. I ended up deciding to go to school for film I did an MFA in film directing at CalArts. And then, um, again, sort of in that process, um, I discovered that I actually enjoyed, I started ADing and um, producing some shorts, discovered that I enjoyed it quite a bit. And um, I loved spreadsheets and color coding and (laughs) all of that. Um, Yes. Really fell into Google Docs. That was a big turning point. (laughs) Um, this is not sponsored by Google Docs, but it should be. <laughs> should be. It should be. Um, and that's sort of like it organically happened. You know, I just um, started doing it for friends, and then um, my producing partner and I um, 
when I was about to graduate in my last year, um, we started um, a small company that kind of started as an artist collective. So mm. it was more about um, filmmakers coming together, working together, collaborating, continuing collaborations that we'd started. Um, and over the years, it has evolved to become kind of more of a straight up production company. We have also focused more and more on producing and have produced different kinds of work. I didn't really study producing. It kind of happened naturally. And then the first... Um, we produced this short called Myrna the Monster, which is sort of, again, a turning point. It was my producing um, school. It was the first time that, you know, we'd gotten a decent budget. Someone had given us money to make a short and um, directed by Ian Samuels. It's a project that we loved. and it, But it was a pretty com complicated short. Yeah. And so we sort of just um, were like, yeah, no course we know how to do this and learned it in the process how long ago was that uh that was it premiered at sundance in 2015 so i think we did it the year before wow so like five years ago that was our producing crash course and then we did um a couple of features that were also at sundance so it sort of kicked off a good sort of yeah. stream of work for so us why from Italy come to LA like you would think that being in Europe you know you have London you have all these other markets and the sort of European cinema is, is very well known and respected so I'm just curious why make that jump so early when I was looking into going to film school film schools in Italy uh, in Italy in Europe actually are pretty um, compartmentalized hmm. so they're really uh, divided in tracks right so if you direct you direct if you write you write if you produce you produce so there is the concept of like you know the the director the author and then all the other pieces sort of um that's how i felt at least mm. when i was looking at like paris or london even uh back then which now is a few years ago yeah um but here, what was attractive to me is that the schools felt much more holistic, at least at the beginning. The approach was that you would learn filmmaking as a whole. Mm. Um, so I had applied to, a, um, I think I applied to Columbia, NYU and ColorArts. And all these schools had a more like bro a broader approach. Yeah. So I, I think it's, it's because I, it's, you know, some people know since they're like five, that they want to make movies. Hmm. I didn't have that. I knew I wanted to tell stories and I had done it or tried to do it in different ways, but I didn't know, oh, I want to be a director. I want to be a producer. I mean, for me, I, even now, I actually, I, I think of producing as a very, very creative job. Um, and so I don't necessarily see them as so separate. I know that, you know, in the industry it becomes more and more yeah. so, but I think that um, that was attractive to me when I was still figuring out sort of what this even was. And did the expectation meet the reality of what you thought the school was going to be like? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the concept of film school has inherent limitations. Mm -hmm. The concept of art school has inherent limitations. Um, so I think that's sort of like, its own conversation in that 
I think CalArts was a great place in many, many ways. It had its limitations. Yeah. Each yeah. school has its own limitations, I would say. So... Well, nothing is perfect, right? Yeah. Like it's, <laughs> and every experience is what you make of it, which exactly. is very cheesy to say, but, but true. Nonetheless. True. I mean, I do think one thing that was um, really great about my experience there is that it really gave me a time... I feel like I they put me through a blender in my first year and like everything that I thought I knew was co- sort of shredded apart mm. and then gave me a time to like recover from that and think about film and you know what I wanted to be doing and how and come out of it not with an idea really but just kind of a sense of things to try. Yeah. Or things I was interested in exploring. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that was a good kind of, it was an important step for sure. Yeah. So how long, what year was that that you moved here? This is my 10th anniversary. Ooh, so congrats. <laughs> what an honor. 2009, I think. Wow. I've yeah. been here, uh, August will be my 13th year. So nice. I'm, uh, I guess, an Angelino now, as they say. I know. I, I don't know when that kicks in. But they say it's 10 years, but 10 I, don't years. I don't know. I don't know. All right. Almost there. So you're almost there. <laughs> That's amazing. Okay, so 10 years. And then really, would you say the first thing that you produced that sort of like put you out there, jump-started your career, what have you, was it that short? Was it? Yeah, I would say so. What's I would it called? Say so. Myrna? It's called Myrna the Monster. Myrna the Monster. Yeah. It's, um, it's really fun. It was a crazy experience. It's a story of um, she's a, Myrna is an alien from the moon. Mm. And she was kidnapped by NASA and then like, escapes a lab and finds herself yeah. in LA and she's trying to you know survive in the day-to-day life she's doing laundry and like all of us yeah like <laughs> trying to get a date and <laughs> it was a project that we really loved and we loved her like she became sort of part of our I definitely friends. I remember hearing about it so I haven't seen it but I oh, I'll send it to you. Please, it was, I'll, I'll include the link for everyone to watch yeah. it yeah it's really really great it was the first project where we had worked with Ian on the scripts I mean, he had these ideas that we loved and so we'd been working on the scripts and then um, MTV other uh, was uh, interested in doing it originally as like a se- uh, three episode series and then it sort of became this short. Uh, but um, yeah, they, you know, it was the first time where we worked together from development through festivals and had... Talk like- about what the experience was like of getting the first thing you produced into Sundance. It was awesome. It was actually, (laughs) I have to say that, um, I mean, every time that I've been at Sundance has been amazing in its own ways, but that's the experience that I am the most fond of because we went and we brought Myrna. And so we were going around Myrna as a puppet. And so we were going around with the puppet and everybody was, you know, curious and everybody was asking us what it was. And, um, they asked us to take over the Sundance Instagram account. And so <laughs> Myrna was posting on Instagram <laughs> and there were photos of her doing like snow angels and yeah. stuff like that. So it was a lot of fun. And, you know, MTV was great in that, you know, the executives there that we were working with were really fun to work with and very open to all of these. She had a Tinder account. <laughs> um, yeah, it was our first Sundance and it was really fun and very kind of it was kind of crazy like we were running around with the, this puppet everywhere yeah that's amazing so then after Myrna like what what comes next how does that 
catapult you into the next thing because I think a lot of people have this impression that once you get anything into Sundance like the heavenly gates of Hollywood open for you and it's just like now you're on the clouds and it's like whatever you want and there's champagne and caviar and I've heard from many people that that's not the case <laughs> so I'd be curious to hear what what was it like for you afterwards I think at that point we had been working well I, yeah for sure we had been working with Andrew and on his script for his first feature so Andrew had had a, his own short at Sundance that my producing partner um, shot he's also a DP mm. and he'd been working with Andrew on all of Andrew's shorts they had this very strong creative collaboration and then they started talking about this feature more from a creative uh, development and creative producer perspective mm. and so we came on as creative producers pretty early on through the development of the script So by the time that Myrna was there, I may be mixing up the times, but I think it was around that timeline. So we had already been working on this script for uh, a couple of years and it had gone through some labs. You know, it, it had done kind of like the development um, festivals mm -hmm. route. And then, yes, I, I want to say June, July that year we shot and then we edited super fast. And then it got into Sundance the next year. Okay. So then the following year, we had this movie called Spa Night. It was in competition at Sundance, yeah. which was crazy. And that was also a pretty crazy experience where, you know, we got the phone call. Andrew got the phone call and we thought that if we had gotten in, maybe it would have been in next. And then they told us that it was in competition and we thought it was a mistake. <laughs> we were like... <laughs> But um, and then sort of out of that, we met Kogonada, with whom we then made Columbus, Columbus. Mm -hmm. which was um, in Sundance the year after. So you've had projects at Sundance three years in a row. Yeah, we had like Amazing. a crazy three years stream. Trifecta. Trifecta. <laughs> and then stopped. Uh, and then we had a baby. So that was the big. <laughs> so is this producing partner DP also your husband? Yes. Okay. Good, good information to know. Yes. So is. tell me a little bit about that. What's that like? Depends on the day. Uh, <laughs> most days it's really great. We are very different filmmakers, which I think is good. It helps our balance. Um, he's very visual and very strong in everything. Um, post, on the post side, he comes from a very visual storytelling approach. Mm. Whereas, and he knows a lot more than I do about film and film history. And um, whereas I come more from a literary background, I studied literature in my undergrad. I come from writing. Mm. Um, so I actually enjoy the development process a lot. And I work a lot on the scripts. Um, and then do a lot more of like the physical production and kind of uh, the practicalities of it. Yeah. But I think that having sort of different strengths and having them very clear helped yeah. the relationship, the partnership. The partnership. But, but yeah, so then when you are not wearing your sort of professional hats, how does that, what challenges does that present in your, just the personal side of, you know, dating your, your ma being married to rather having a family with your producing partner slash creative collaborator? You know, it's funny. I was talking to a friend recently who also has worked with their partner. And um, we were both agreeing that one good thing of having this collaboration is that oftentimes 
you pick your battles and you know when to give up a fight. Mm. And I feel like that has been something that has been, you know, in a way very helpful in being like, okay, this is not something worth discussing or arguing over. Which I think if it was with the straight up, you know, just the business partner, I would probably enter that argument. Mm. Uh, Can you give me an example? Can you describe like a situation where that's happened? Yeah, I mean, we've had situations where like we we were invited to something, I think, and it was just one of us. And it, it was kind of like we both wanted to go. It, you know, one of those situations where like it was clearly something futile. But then on the other hand, it's also something that y- you care for. Yeah. And I was just like, yeah, this is not worth an argument. Like, yeah. This is really not. So I think in many circumstances, you sort of like are able to give up on certain things and yeah. be like, yeah, I don't want to go home and then carry this, you know, right. over dinner and in bed at night and next morning. But do you feel do you feel like learning how to navigate those conversations in your personal life with someone who is also in this industry and is you work creatively with helps you, for example, when you are going to have a similar conversation, say you're working with a DP you don't know or another person who you're not married to, do you think that that insight helps you and shapes the way that you navigate other parts of your professional life I think so I think so I think it does I also think you know just professionally like it's it's useful to have someone next to you going through different stages of putting together a movie that you can look at and be like this is not stupid, right? Or like you can right. check in with in a very honest way. You know, there are pros and cons because then on the other hand, you also carry, it's a much more precious relationship in many ways. Like right. if you if you fight, you don't only fight with your business partner, you fight with your husband so, right. or with your wife. Yeah. So it has worked out for us so far. Yeah. We're actually right now taking it to the next level. We're developing a project that's very much based on our experience and that we would like possibly to co-direct. Wow. Okay. So that, <laughs> so it's going well, maybe we'll be divorced in two years, but who knows, <gasps> but you'll make a great film and that's all that matters. Right. right. <laughs> then we'll talk about it separately in interviews yeah. after. Yeah, for uh, sure. A lot of awkward panels in yeah. your future. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it works for us. And yeah. then if it doesn't, I think, you know, the thing that's tricky is like, okay, are we going to be honest to say it's not working anymore? But mm. can you walk us through um, the sort of um, Cliff's Notes version of what it takes to when you're developing a project or a film on your own? You're not at a production company. You're not backed by financiers. You're just kind of doing this on your own. What that experience is actually like, what that you know, sort of overview of all the things you have to go through in a concise way, because I know it's very involved, but I would love to have a nugget of insight into, and then it's, this is your process, obviously, which is different from a lot of other producers, but given that you, you freelance, right? Yeah. We're a little bit of a particular situation, I think, because I don't do, I did for a little bit, but I don't do as much freelancing on my own just you know as producer on projects like line producing yeah I've done a little bit I think there are people out there who are much better than me 
Yeah. So I'd rather <laughs> hire someone who's better than I am. So because we didn't really study producing and that's not like the, you know, our day to day that we kind of um, learned on and we come at it from a more creative side, like starting producing started for us mainly just based on creative collaborations that we had with directors that you know we really liked and really trusted each other and grew together in mm -hmm. that um so we are a little bit particular in that sense because oftentimes our involvement in a project is connected to developing that project mm. so it's something that we struggle with a lot is this kind of black hole that is independent film development mm. because you know studios have uh, development money they have that's you know there is people that that's all they do right but in the independent film world for people who you know freelance or have small companies like ours it's really difficult because it oftentimes takes years to get a script a, a, an idea to a script to a point that you are confident um, sending it out and so that's something that we have been trying to figure out and discussing a lot with producer friends and people yeah. who work in the industries. Like, well, how do you make it sustainable? Mm. How do you make... And what's their answer? What's the secret? I don't I know. I won't tell anybody. I don't know. But <laughs> I, we are, what we are trying to do in our own very small way is we're trying to put together a small development fund. So we don't have access to a lot of money that would allow us to put together a production fund. And I also think that is something that has its own issues, concerns right. and questions of whether it could work or not. But I do think that a development fund um, could work really well in this space because yeah. it's something that it's missing and it's something that in reality doesn't cost as much. So we're trying to figure out putting together a small development fund so that we can buy some rights to some existing IP, hire writers to develop um, yeah. some projects, even to just write a treatment um, or, you know, pay ourselves or pay some people that we work with to yeah. take the time to do it. Because for me, the biggest issue with the development is that oftentimes in independent film, you hear these epic stories when you go to Q&As where mm -hmm. it's like, <laughs> I've been working on this film for 12 years. And it's, it's you know, terrifying. it's 12 years of your life, right? Yeah. Um, unfortunately, what can avoid that is that you have the money to actually tell someone, whether it's a director, writer, director, mm -hmm. a writer, a producer, okay, for six months, you're going to focus on this project. So right. you need to basically make it possible for them to focus. Right. Yeah. I think to your point, when we hear those stories of the person who took 12 years, oftentimes it's not every day, 365 working on that thing, right? It's it's just the amount of time it actually took. Sometimes it's a year to get an email response from somebody, right. you know, and, and by the time you started that thing to the many drafts of that thing, if it's a writer, director, whatever, to the point that it gets released there's just so much time and so much that happens but to your point if someone had financial incentive to say i'm only going to do this for six months i'm not going to have to take on side jobs i think it would yield incredible results but like you said it's hard because a lot of people in the indie world are sort of juggling full-time jobs sometimes in the industry oftentimes not you know 
while trying to do the thing they want to do on the weekends or at night. And you also want to have a life and that's hard. Next thing you know, you blink years have passed, you know? So I think there's a lot of that too. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. A lot of filmmakers, whichever they're, whether producers, writer, directors, before they reach a certain stability, there is years of this and years of having to take a side job or having to, you know, rely on a partner or having to whatever it is that makes it work. But I think that inevitably, you know, that affects the amount of focus that you can put into that, into those projects. And therefore, yes, the project happens with a delay. And I mean, to be honest, some projects do benefit from time. They mature exactly. into themselves. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But I do think those projects will do that no matter Regard what. Exactly. Right? Regardless. That, yeah, some, th some projects are only meant to exist when the world and the industry is sort of ready for it. And it doesn't matter how much you try to force it into existence. Like, it just takes the time it takes. But others, I do think, like, there is something to say to that point. And highlighting the realities of a person who is an independent producer who does develop and is a creative producer, wants to be a creative producer, um, is, is important to me. It's important to why I want to do this show because we can see someone at Sundance getting to premiere their film and we think, wow, they just like blinked and that happened and that was so easy. But oftentimes it's taken years to get to that point. And like I said earlier, it's not like you walk away from that experience and February comes and you're like swimming in money and opportunities and meetings oftentimes, you know, like there are a few breakouts, yes, but any of the bigger film festivals, I would say, you know, are a launching pad to other things. But it is a grind. It is a hard road. And it's not to dissuade anyone from getting on the road because there's a lot of great sites along the way, you know. But it's just the reality of like, you're probably going to run out of fuel a bunch of times and your car is going to break down and you better know how to change a tire. And, <laughs> you know, like, you know, run out of snacks. <laughs> run out of snacks. There's a baby screaming in the back. There's a dog. Like, there's no bathroom in sight. That's really what I feel is like the real real of a lifestyle of anyone who calls themselves a producer for everyone listening like I just think that that is a really important insight to show that is goes beyond that sort of one-dimensional photo of someone's on someone's social media or of the rare moments you get to be next to the celebrity you know uh, yeah 100 <laughs> percent. I mean I do think you know one thing that is interesting is also like that we've been thinking about a lot you know because after Columbus, we have been developing a few projects that are at different stages now, and hopefully, knock on wood, but they will, uh, they will go at some point, trying to figure out, okay, you know, how do we make this sustainable? How do we keep growing while at the same time, how do we keep making projects that we feel are important, that we feel matter? Um, and so I think, you know, those are questions that I think we ask, I don't want to say on a daily basis, but I think very often. Yeah. One thing that I have learned is that, you know, in the indie world, a lot of times producers are attached to director in a certain way, right? Like you sort of have your debut with a certain director and something that we are learning how to navigate is, well, how do you create 
materials? How do you create a script? How do you create a treatment as producers that you have ownership of and that you build versus only doing writer-directors projects that come to you with a writer-director who has been working on this script for a number of years mm -hmm. because I think it's quintessential to making this sustainable is that producers have value in themselves. And I think in the independent film world, unfortunately, it's something that is not quite there yet. I mean, there are producers who now have earned sort of a status but it has taken them, you know, a big hit. Right. Like an, a decade plus a big hit normally. Yeah, a long time plus <laughs> yeah. a big hit that is not something anyone can count on. You right. cannot count on making an indie film that all of a sudden gets Oscar nominated, right? That's amazing. Like, right. But well, that's, it, the, that's the unicorn philosophy, right? Like yeah. everybody wants to, they're out there, they exist. There's the fruitful stations of the world are out there, um, you know, the outliers. But what are the odds that you're going to be a part of the thing that is the right project at the right time that people respond to? It's so amorphous, you know, because predicting the future is impossible uh, as far as I know, though some people claim to be able to do it. And predicting audience tastes is so impossible. So when you talk about taking 12 years, three years to do something, by the time it's out in the world, you hope that people are still going to respond to that story. Yeah, I think that, and that's the thing, the beauty and the hardship of independent film is that because you're not working in a studio system, you don't necessarily have to follow like studio equations of what makes money, what sells, what makes a movie worth. You can take risks. On the other hand, you can't try to map things too much. Like you're saying, like you can't, it's really difficult to predict what's going to happen next. There are definitely waves in independent film. You can, it's really difficult to say what the next wave will be. So in a way, I find it somewhat reassuring to know that the only thing that you can rely on is your own instincts, because at least those you have. <laughs> uh, and then, you know, just refine your instincts. Mm -hmm. Make sure that you put yourself in the position of absorbing information that will make your instinct more and more specific so that you know hopefully with experience you get to a point where you can be making the right movie at the right time because yeah. i do think the success of certain movies is really about timing it, really you can only be a, ahead of a trend in right. order to become you can't predict that it's, at all it's hard so but in that sense, too, like having resources to develop faster would, I think, make for a more dynamic marketplace yeah. in the indie film world, too, where you can actually be putting stuff out in a more efficient way. Good points. So <laughs> define producer for me. And then the next question I'll ask once you're done sipping your water <laughs> is what are some of the misconceptions you feel? people have about producers the definition of producer is a very difficult one I feel like whenever I've been asked I've given a different answer because it really depends on where you're at for me being a producer has been to be willing to go home after a long day on set and 
make hard-boiled eggs for the crew for the next morning, hmm. um, <laughs> which I've done many many days. Um, at the same time, you know, it means to be the person in a room or a conversation that can fight for the director's vision, the person that can stand behind shooting a scene in one shot because that is the right decision to make creatively. Those are sort of two sides that are very different, but that coexist for me in what I think producing has been. It's also oftentimes just taking the time to get on the phone with oftentimes with your director and talk through stuff and help them through whatever they're going through. A lot of times you're a mom, a sister, a, a shrimp. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, a friend. A big misconception I think that there is about producers is that producers are disposable. Mm. Producers are integral to the success of a film in the sense that if they have a strong relationship with a director, if they have a strong relationship with the financiers, like they can really be instrumental to the vision of the director being realized. And that is just as important to the success of a film as having a vision, right? So I think this is a huge misconception, especially as you grow into the industry, into bigger budgets, that creative producers or individual producers are disposable, that they are replaceable, yeah. that anyone can be doing that job. That's a huge mistake and a huge waste of money, to be fairly honest with you, because what you have built in that relationship is irreplaceable. It's something that you know gives you a shorthand in many ways that would, I think, end up saving a lot of time and money. There's a lot of stories I've heard and people personally I know who've had this experience of being the indie producer who does get to develop and attach themselves to that writer-director who then wins the Sundance, becomes the hit, the talk of the town, and then their next project, you know, they go and take it to the studio and that director, writer, director wants to bring their producer because that's the person who's been their right hand, who's been their friend, like you said, their brother, their sister, their everything through that experience. Um, and oftentimes has helped them develop that project in some way, shape or form. But then someone who defines the producer's worth as dispensable to your point will say, well, no, let's just pay them out, buy them out of this contract. Too many cooks in the kitchen. We don't want to deal with that. And it puts that creative in a really precarious spot where they have to decide well do I go make my movie with Warner Brothers or do I stay loyal to the person who sort of helped build me up I think it creates a lot of this sort of early seeds of the cynicism and mistrust that is created in our industry sort of starts there because when you're navigating the indie world it feels like people usually play in the sandbox really well together. There's a lot of respect for the hustle and how hard it is. And then the moment that you're sort of picked from obscurity and lifted up of the sandbox and thrown into like a sand pool, I don't know what the rich people <laughs> do, you know, uh, the, then it's like on a, oh, yacht. on a yacht, you know, like it, then you're in a whole separate ball game and you can no longer play with the kids who are from the poor part of town. <laughs> you know what I find very interesting is that um like I understand why someone would you know take the opportunity to make their movie 
Yeah. And like you, you can only fight so many fights. You need to pick which battles you're going to fight. At the end of the day, what you want is you want to make a movie. You want to have a career. You want to be a working filmmaker. Like I understand exactly why it happens. What I think is the issue is that I, I think the way that this needs to be solved and approached and thought of is from the perspective of those senior producers, financiers, studios that have money and that are in a position to offer, you know, support. We're going to yeah. give you whatever number of millions of dollars to make your movie. It's their responsibility to say, who do you want to bring from your team? And then the director can say, you know what? I really want to bring just my DP. Everybody else I don't feel like was so integral to the process. But my DP was very important. Or it may be no one. Or it may be everybody. But I think at least having that conversation and having the opportunity to sit in the room, you know, as producers, as DPs, as costume designer, as whoever was part of the team that feels like could be a good part of the new team. Yeah. At least they should be given the opportunity to sit in a room. And I think that's out of respect, acknowledgement, and just knowing that no one makes movies on their own. There are super talented, brilliant directors, visionaries. No one makes a movie on their own. So all those people are just as integral and just as individually irreplaceable. So I think it's sort of a mindset that needs to change. Because, you know, listen... The person who's given the opportunity, who's dying to make a movie, is not in a position to say, put their foot down. Right. Some people do, but not everybody. You cannot count on that. Yeah. It would be unfair to count on that. It is. It's just I wish that the people would at least be given a chance, like you said, to be brought in. Because that's how you move up, right? That's how you get to the next level. And if you are the DP and the costume designer and the production designer who's done this director's all of their indie things where you were you know breaking your back and making half the rate you should have and now here's the opportunity where you get to play in the big leagues and actually make substantial money but you're not even able to enter the room you know you're just looking at it through a glass box it's it's how you sort of keep people out i I heard this um on the treatment on kcrw kim masters was saying how this industry has been infamously and notoriously about making it hard for people to break in there's this, this this division of like, you stay there. We're not going to give you the information. We're not going to give you the keys. And if you find a way in it, into the castle, fine. Then we'll like work it out. But, <laughs> you know. You sneak in through the back. Well, yeah, you sneak in through the, the, the you know, the service, the service entrance. That's what I did. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's like granted everywhere in the world, in any industry, in any job, people hold on to their piece of land you know like that's just how it people function i you know i don't want to be naive but i do think that you know at the end of the day even from a financial standpoint it would be a win-win like i'm actually you know i'm not as naive as to think like oh you should do it because it's right i think it's actually from a financial standpoint it would save a lot of misunderstandings and a lot of issues down the line you have someone involved who has a shorthand i i agree 100 i think it's actually a way to mitigate risk not add risk so you take a dp who has worked with this writer director who's now getting their first big shot into the big leagues 
you get that DP at a much lower rate than you would get any other DP who's you know been on fancy lists and nominated for all sorts of awards. So you're getting someone who's going to be even more motivated, who has a shorthand with this person, who is also like coming in at half the rate. And what you do then is you surround that director with other department heads and other people who are vetted by the studio or vetted by the production company that everybody feels good. And you surround them with the support of people who have done it. And this is this is just another movie for them. This is not their big thing. There should be a way to pull up the people that come in from from behind you, you know, and like you said, not because it's naive, but because it is the right thing to do. A, a lot of people now that are rising and have reached a good amount of power are actually very aware of all of this. Mm-hmm. Um, and they are empowering a lot of women, a lot of women of color, people of yes. color. They're empowering young directors. I mean, people who have made one or two features. There are people that are setting examples. Mm -hmm. So I'm hoping, you know, I do think that there is a shift happening slow. Slowly. But I do think that this thing we are talking about is part of that Mm -hmm. because, you know, it's just part of like acknowledging people for what they do and what they can actually bring to the table. I hope so. It's glacial, but it's happening and I do think if we look at even 10 years ago, how the indie scene was and where we are today, it's just so astronomically different. It's almost even fraudulent to say indie because what does that even mean anymore? You know, it's like they they call a movie that's financed by three different small production companies an indie movie, but it's like $15 million. You're like, well, it's not really the true nature of what independent film once was. And I think we're in still in that growth phase of what the industry is going to be now that we have the competition of the internet to, to sort of keep us always checking, checking in, you know, like how do we combat that reality? Everybody's feeling it. That's why all these mergers are happening and very curious to see how our industry is going to like evolve, hopefully for the better. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it, (laughs) Yeah, some things will be better, some things will be worse. Yeah, but mostly better, I hope. Especially from like an inclusion perspective, I still think there's not enough stuff getting made by female writer-directors and stories of and about people of color and sort of diverse voices. But there's so, so much focus on that that I think more than ever, you know, that's happening. And with players like Netflix existing where they have a global audience like they want to find a filmmaker in India who can make the film for the Indian audience. Yeah, I think the the value of of people taking ownership of their own stories and being uh able to tell their stories um is something that is definitely become so clear that is really hard to hide <laughs> behind, you know, like to make up any excuse right now that as to why someone else is a better choice. Yeah. Since you're Italian, I think this is a very good question for you. I, my background's also Italian, so I feel like I can ask this. Where do you feel that passion comes from? Tough question, huh? <laughs> I got her stumped, ladies and germs. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I think, for me, a passion for a project comes from when I read something when I read the premise, when I hear a pitch or something, and I can't get it out of my head, but there is something very immediate that sparks enthusiasm in me. I guess when something feels like it belongs, 
in my mind, you know, in relationship to other things that yeah. I have been thinking or that I'm aware of. In a quite literal way, you know, I think passion comes from not fully analyzing pros and cons or risks or any of that. It comes from sort of a naivete maybe or trusting something without questioning too much. Mm. Because the truth is, if you really break it down, the job of an independent producer, I don't think a lot of people would do it. Right. Like if you really sit down and you're like, oh, here is the pros and cons. And what are the pros and cons? That's the thing. Like, I think you do this for passion because there are stories that you feel like have to be told. For us, like, I think after having a kid, that has become a fuel to our passion in the sense that we want to tell stories that will shape the way that she will see the world, right? Mm -hmm. Whatever the origin of it, you ultimately do this job because of that. If that piece is gone, there isn't enough money in it to justify it. There is a lot of stress. In Italian, we say, I don't think the game is worth the candle, which I don't know what it means. Wait, how like, do you say that? Say it in Italian? Il gioco non vale la candela. Mm, okay. I don't know why. I don't know exactly literally what it means. But the, the concept is... Yeah, that it's it, the game is not worth what you're putting into it. Mm. That's really what it comes down to. I mean, the cons are that it's a really unstable and unpredictable lifestyle. Yeah. I was talking to someone, to a friend who also has kids, and it's like, how do you navigate that? Like, how do you take care? First of all, have the resources to for childcare. How do you navigate having a kid and being on set 18 hours a day? How do you navigate traveling with a family? I do think these are all practices that need to evolve in the industry. Yeah. And I am very interested in figuring out how can we make this more sustainable around. But at the end of the day, you know, these are all big obstacles i mean there are many days where it just feels like you have obstacles ahead of you but then there is one day where like all the obstacles suddenly are down below because your movie got greenlit or you finished production or you got into sundance right. or your movie got sold right well that's the very small slivers of the lifestyle that you're talking about and you live for those you work f towards those you're not just doing it in a vacuum it's you do want to find that success so you can have that balance and you can have the resources to sustain the lifestyle but I am curious what answer your friend gave you because I you know the people that are constantly working that are sort of more visible um I think they have a lot of support behind the scenes you know like any read any memoir with any working sort of women in any business and they tell you like I have a work wife I have a nanny I have like five people helping me run my life because you cannot do it alone and so when you're talking about blue collar Hollywood you know I, I am often curious how people manage you know when you have that set life it's just crazy to be away from your family for that long I mean the truth is for a lot of crew it's not worth taking a job if it doesn't pay a certain amount of money because they're going to spend yeah. 
more than half their salary on nannies. Yeah. I mean, that's really what it comes down to. Mm-hmm. And that's just the pure practicality of it. Yeah. And then there is the emotional side of, you know, having a young kid and not being able to spend time with them. Yeah. Which is also draining and also not, you know, conducive to good work. For me, since having uh, our daughter, the question of sustainability has become way more prominent. We both have families very far away, um, one in Italy, one in Korea. So we don't have resources uh, (laughs) available easily to us. It makes everything that is already difficult in this job, I want to say 20 times harder just because if you're taking, you know, two hours to work on something, it means that you're not only not getting paid for that, you're paying someone in order to be there. Yeah. And that's just crazy when you think about when you start thinking about it, you break it down. It's like, okay, well, great. Then, you know, this movie is actually costing me. Right. And how does that affect you? How do you process that reality, I guess, that you find yourself in? It has forced us to ask ourselves these questions all the time. So, you know, you work in increments and you sort of give yourselves check-ins. Every now and then we talk about this and we're like, okay, you know, does this feel like it makes sense? Does this feel like it's worth it? And so far, the answer has been yes. Yeah. But I think knowing that we're open to the possibility that at one point, if the answer is no, then we face it, you know? And then it's, we'll see what comes out of that. It has forced us to be very honest about what's realistic, what's not realistic, what are the expectations, and valuing time in a very different way. Producers do to their fault is they give so much time. Producers are the ones that are available on email at 10.30 p.m. on a Wednesday. Right. On the weekends. On Sunday at 11 a.m. Mm-hmm. On 4th of July at 3 p.m. <laughs> so why? Yeah. Why is that? That shouldn't be that way. The same way that everybody else is taking a day off. Right. Like, I, I th- but I think it's up to us to create those practices. And I found that having a kid has really forced us to, you know, we go, boundaries. Home, yeah. we go home at four and I don't pick up the phone. We live in a time that's so hard to put boundaries, period, whether or not you have a family, whether or not you're in this industry, like there's so much vying for our attention and our time nowadays that it's really hard to just like, you know what I mean? Close your eyes and be like, what is important? What do I want? What really matters? I know a lot of people who don't have children, who have a lot of money, who still struggle with that, like setting up those boundaries for themselves so that I think especially in LA, it it breeds this or it attracts, I don't know if it breeds, but it attracts the kinds of people that really take pride in what they do and also understand that they're in a big market. So they just work themselves to death. And usually what happens is that, you know, you take the, your prime years of your twenties and your thirties, maybe your forties, and you give and you go hard and then you burn out early and then there's someone in line waiting to take your job. And I'm not, it's just I'm not saying that's a good or bad thing. I mean, it's just kind of the, the flow of, of the reality, but it's just, if you don't take the time for self-care, for self-reflection, no one's going to do it for you. I do think that 
because of the way this industry is structured, because of this game of wait, 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 go, 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 there is a false sense of urgency also. Mm-hmm. I have had straight up panic when we travel a lot because we have family all over the world, because we've been at festivals all over the world, because we work with filmmakers from different places. So I've had straight up panic when I was traveling. I felt like I was missing out. Mm. You know, I was away. I was away for a few weeks. We decided to make it a little bit of a work trip, but then take some time to be on a vacation. And then I'm freaking out because I feel like I'm missing out. Mm -hmm. And then I come back. And everything is basically exactly the same. Right. Nothing it has, has gone. Well, it got, it went on like two loops and went back to the same position that it was before. <laughs> but those yeah. two loops felt super urgent for her a day. Right. And I think this is a cultural thing. Like we owe it to ourselves to create the culture of the work we want to be making and living in. Yes. And I think the thing we often forget is that having... A, a computer that fits in your pocket is a new thing like movies and television have been made for almost a hundred years now I think so people have done it and they've done production and they've done development and they've made things happen in a time before you could just call someone's phone before there were even landlines in someone's house like you just had your office hours. You just worked the hours you worked and anything else, it just waited till the next morning. You know, like I always see those scenes in movies where somebody's at like some random hotel and they get a call, you know, and then the person comes to their table. They're like, oh, there's a call from your boss in New York and they're in California. And that's when you know that shit's like, it's an emergency right. because th that never happens. And right. we've become where that's the norm all the time now. Yeah. So it's just reminding ourselves that especially as the people who sort of are in oftentimes the position of power, it's like, well, if we want to set those boundaries for ourselves, we also cannot expect crew to respond to an email at 10 o'clock at night. If it isn't urgent, if it isn't a thing. Yeah. I mean, like I do think as producers, you put out a lot of fires as mm. they say. Yeah. But you don't need to make a fire out of just to, just a to pie. Put it out. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, <laughs> just let it be. Yeah. Um, cool. Well, that's all really good stuff. Um, I guess my last question, which is one I like to ask often, and I think people get this question all the time, but I always find that there's value to it, no matter what. I think like when you go to a Q&A, it's always the question. What advice would you give to someone who's listening to this, who's young, maybe who's in Italy, because we're a global audience, and they hear your story and they say, wow, I want to make movies. I want to tell stories. I want to sign up for this crazy lifestyle. Um, what advice would you give for them? Well, the sort of general philosophical advice would be to follow your dreams but not forget to live your life. That's a really good answer. That's definitely the quote of the pod right there for your episode. <laughs> um, the, the more like practical and kind of thorough answer would be to not settle for something that doesn't work for you. Because you mentioned someone in Italy. I hear a lot of people who work in the industry in Italy complaining about certain ways the industry works or 
so I think in general, like not settling for something that you're not happy with, whether it's by challenging it or by leaving, um, that's something that was important for me. Like mm. I didn't feel um, like there was a place. I didn't work in the industry in Italy, but I didn't feel like there was a place there where I could start. Um, and so I came here. That's why I came here, which doesn't mean I don't have Italian stories in me, but I just want to get to them the way that I feel like it's right. I do believe that change is always good, no matter how it feels in the moment. Mm. I agree with that. I have this theory that the only people that are able to continuously evolve are people who go through a lot of changes, whether it's uh, based on their own choice, that they made the choice to, to change, or it was thrusted upon them by the world, by the universe. Um, the people who can withstand change and take the lessons that it always brings become, I think, the more the better filmmakers truly right because it's it, what you can bring to the table as a filmmaker truly is just your perspective your experience like every story that exists has pretty much already been told you can't really reinvent the wheel but what makes it unique is your perspective and your perspective is shaped by your experiences which is shaped by often changes and trauma and all the things that have made you you in that moment in your life yeah and also don't fear the fact that what you thought was right may not be you know, like, I think that's a change that we always are very scared of is when you were convinced that something was right and turns out it may not be. Mm -hmm. We teach a class um, at CalArts and um, sometimes we talk, we go do like, I've done a couple panels and stuff like that. And, and something that I always um, tell people, like people often ask, like, how do I find a producer? And I always tell them like, you don't want just any producer. You want the right producer. And I think that's true of financiers. Like you don't just want anybody's money to make your movie. You want the right match. You feel like you don't have a choice. But I think we all do. And actually we should act on it. Mm -hmm. Like you don't just want to partner with anybody. Right. And sometimes you partner with someone you thought they were right and they turn out not to be. Right. But okay, that's a le lesson learned. Yeah. But at least you made the choice knowing you had the choice. Right. Um, like you don't just need to take anything that comes your way because it's coming your way. I mean, it's, it's kind of basic, but I feel like it's something that I have to often tell people and they're like, oh, that's yeah, true. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. So, but thank you so much for coming thank on the you. show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Of this course. This was fun. So, what did you think? I'd love to hear your thoughts on this week's episode. I'm at Carolina Gropa. The show's at Life with Kaka. Thank you so much for tuning in week after week and doing this life thing with me. Please subscribe, rate, comment, review, wherever it is that you get your podcasts. And I'll see you next week. Beijos.